Welcome to this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we dive back into our reading of Visualized American Government, 1964 edition. The chapter we're in covers parties and politics. This week's episode, we cover lack of success of third-party movements in American politics. Lack of success of third-party movements in American politics. The traditional pattern of American politics is based on a two-party rivalry. Third-party movements in our history have met with but little success. Some of them, like the Prohibition Party, were founded on a single issue. Others, like the Populist Party, appealed to only one section of the country or a limited number of the economic interest. Still, others, notably the Progressive Party of 1912, were composed of reform groups which, after a brief interval, were reabsorbed by the major parties. It is difficult to keep a minor party in the field for any length of time because our political system makes no provision for proportional representation. The average American voter who strays from one or the other of the two major parties soon is likely to return to the fold because he feels that he has been throwing away his vote. Despite an intensive campaign in 1948, the Wallace Progressive polled little more than 2% of the popular vote. The new party failed to win a single electoral vote. That wraps it up for what Visualized American Government 1964 edition has to say about lack of success of third-party movements in American politics. Of course, we cannot stop there. We've got to dive deeper into why third-party candidates suffer in major political elections. Why are third-party candidates unsuccessful? Third-party candidates have been shut out of the presidency since the rise of the two-party system in the mid-1800s. The most successful third-party candidates in the past century have capitalized on political divisions within the two major parties that came about as a result of economic and cultural turmoils in the country. Consider Theodore Roosevelt. In 1912, four years after his presidency ended, Roosevelt took advantage of a split in the Republican Party to mount an independent run on the Progressive Party ticket. Roosevelt had unusually high name recognition for a third-party candidate, but still only managed to win six states and 88 electoral college votes, finishing a distant second to Woodrow Wilson. The next serious third-party challenge was George Wallace when he built his 1968 presidential campaign around a strategy of appealing to white Southern Democrats who opposed the party's embrace of the civil rights movement. 
Wallace, a former governor of Alabama, who was best known for his support of segregation, won a total of five states and 46 electoral college votes. He is the last third-party candidate to sweep a state's electoral college votes. According to the historian Dan Carter, who has written about Wallace and the rise of modern American conservatism. But all of Wallace's victories took place in the Deep South, in states that Richard Nixon was likely to win in a two-way contest against Herbert Humphrey, the Democratic nominee. Wallace seized on the racial prejudice of the era to run the most successful third-party campaign since Roosevelt's, but his divisive approach only took him so far. His main impact was carrying states that probably would have gone for Nixon, Carter said. In terms of the final vote, he was a regional candidate. More than two decades later, Ross Perot turned out to be that rare third-party candidate with true national appeal. A Texas-born billionaire with no prior political experience, Perot used his wealth to run lengthy, chart-laden campaign ads that raised his standings in the polls in the 1992 presidential election, helping him land a spot in the debates with George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. He was so weird that he captured the imagination, his tone of voice, his style. We'd never seen anything like it before, said Bill Miller, a veteran lobbyist and political observer in Texas. Perot was a gifted performer, but he also benefited from events at the time that created a unique opportunity for plain-spoken outsider candidate to step in and challenge the status quo. In 1992, the economy was marred in a recession. Republicans were upset with President Bush for breaking his campaign promise not to raise taxes, and many more voters were eager for a challenge after 12 years of Republican rule in the White House. Quote, For a third-party person to be successful, there has to be a voter anger and the candidate has to channel that anger, unquote, Miller said. And that's not easy. That's why most of them are unsuccessful. That fall, Perot won 19% of the popular vote, the second highest total for a third-party candidate in modern U.S. history. After Roosevelt, who won 27%, in 1912. But because Perot's supporters were evenly distributed around the country, he failed to win a single electoral college vote. He fared even worse in his second presidential campaign four years later. The most famous American third-party presidential candidate, arguably, is Ralph Nader whom many Democrats still blame for the outcome of the 2000 presidential race. Running as the Green Party candidate, Nader received 2.7% of the popular vote, a fraction of George W. Bush and Al Gore's support. 
but Nader won about 97,000 votes in Florida, which Bush ultimately carried by just 537 votes after a recount battle that reached the Supreme Court. Nader's critics have long argued that Gore would have also won the state of New Hampshire and avoided a recount if Nader had not been on the ballot and a majority of the state's Green Party supporters had backed the Democratic nominee. Nader defended his 2000 campaign in an interview in New York arguing that the race in Florida was decided by the thousands of Democratic voters who crossed party lines to support Bush. In reflecting back on that race and his subsequent less controversial White House bids in 2004 and 2008, Nader blamed the two major parties and the media for making it difficult for third-party candidates to compete in presidential elections. Here's the interesting thing when you don't get media, said Nader, setting for an interview between promotional stops for a new book deal, Breaking Through Power. I was probably known by 80% of the people as a consumer advocate, and I think 80% of the people didn't even know I was running. What's very clear is that reporters focus on the two major party candidates. So, if you're a third party candidate and you don't possess the vast personal fortune of Ross Perot, you're going to be ignored. So basically, in presidential candidates right now in our system, if you do not have a D or an R in their name, they are finished before they even get started. Democrats and Republicans have fixated our political system in their favor. And these third party candidates keep trying to break through that big brick wall that has been built to stop any opposition from these two major parties. It is time to rethink the way we run our politics. George Washington, as I say many times, warned against party politics. And you can see right now in America, coming on to the 2020 election cycle, are we ripe for a third party candidate? That's the question you should ask. And that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I hope you like, share, and subscribe. And make sure you join us next week right here on Free Circle Freedoms. Ed Waters, out. <laughs>